Welcome to Weekdays with Jesus. Today's message is from Pastor Don Ray, and we have a special treat for us here at the end of the podcast, a Christmas song written and sung by two people who have never met from two different countries. Here's Pastor Ray. Now, before we even enter into this text with Zechariah, it really is a mesmerizing reality when you think about it, that the, the timeless Word of God and the unchained promises of God descend into our finite, time-bound lives. It really is a gracious miracle of God. His, his word of life is otherworldly, and here we are in our daily life and world, and he breaks into it with his word. And so there's often kind of a discordant reaction there sometimes, because you have this amazing promise of God coming into this world that's very broken, and sometimes the two don't seem to add up. Um, and in response, especially to a, a promise of God, it might not be an uncommon response to say, how can that even happen? How can that possibly come to pass? I can't even conceive of it. We imagine a promise of God colliding with our world, and it might be hard for us to see with eyes of faith. If ever we or those we know and love have a reaction like that to God's word where it's hard to believe and we don't imagine how it's ever going to come to pass if ever we or those we know and love are in that situation today's scriptures remind us we're in really good company let's pray good and gracious god we're so thankful that you love us to send to us your son jesus christ and the inspired word of god he is the inspired word of god made flesh Bless us today, Lord, through your ancient word to Daniel, to Zechariah, to Mary, also to us. It's an ancient word, but a living and active word that we also eagerly and desperately need to hear. Father, bless us today. Help us to learn more about you and your love for us and deepen our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord as we await your final coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Encourage you and invite you, as always, if it's helpful, you can follow along in the sermon notes that are near the back of your bulletin today. And I was kind of alluding there in my opening remarks that we see in Scripture this, this collision that happens of God's prophetic promises on the one hand and then our perceptions on the other. God's promises and man's perceptions. In other words, on the one hand, what God says will happen, what he promises to do, and then on the other hand, what we perceive our situations and circumstances to be. And the two may not always seem to fit. Uh, the reality may be quite discordant. Just think about some of these promises of God that might hit us at times as hard to believe or hard to receive. There is nothing you can do to make God stop loving you. Someone might hear that. Even a believer of many years might hear that and say, how is that possible? I am not worthy. I have said and done some horrible, horrible things in my life. Or, another promise of God. You are beloved and valuable in God's eyes. You are a unique and unrepeatable miracle of his creation. 
and someone hearing that that maybe has grown up in abusive relationships in an abusive home, wrestling through an abusive marriage, might wonder, how can that be? I can't believe it. All my life I've been told I am worthless and a nobody and a nothing. Or here's another one. You are forgiven. Sometimes can be hard to believe. Based on what we've said or done or left unsaid or undone, sometimes even though we hear those words, and, and yes, we, we believe they're true, but is it actually true? God actually forgive me of all that? Another one. God will provide for you to give generously and abundantly. Really? Because when I look at the budget, when I look at the checkbook, when I look at what's in my wallet, I'm not so sure. How can I possibly afford to give generously? 10%? Really? Here's another one. God's word, Isaiah 55, God's word will produce its intended results. It will produce the fruit that God intends. We know Scripture also says that God desires all people to be saved and, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Well, gosh, what about that person that I keep praying for? My son, my daughter, my, my, my siblings, my neighbors, my colleagues, the person who I love so dearly, I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, and I'm not seeing any results. How can it possibly be true that God's Word is actually doing what He promises? Or one more, the season of Advent. Jesus Christ is coming again. A promise of God. Spoken by the Lord himself. But it's been some 2,000 years, and he's not here. We might start to wonder, is this actually going to happen? Is it actually going to come to pass? There's so many promises. Scripture is chock full of promises, but again, when they collide with our own perceptions, our own realities, our own struggles and circumstances, it may be kind of discordant and hard to accept. Educators, psychologists sometimes call things like this a cognitive dissonance. If you're a teacher, you probably have heard that before, where you have these two or more propositions that seem to contradict, and you kind of live with them both, but it, it can be very upsetting or confusing. And we see this kind of dynamic at play in the text today, really in the Old Testament with Daniel, we'll look at that in a moment, and then also with Zechariah and Elizabeth, and even also with Mary. And all three situations, Daniel, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary, involve the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel is is God's sent angel, again, breaking into specific times and places with a word of promise that is slamming up against the realities of the people that are hearing the message. In Daniel's case, God gives him a vision. This is in Daniel 8 and also 9, but initially in chapter 8, God gives him a vision of, of the future of God's people that at face value is really confusing for Daniel. He couldn't conceive its meaning, he couldn't understand it. He was trying to come to grips with his reality and this word of God. And let's just listen to a part of it here. This is Daniel 8, uh, starting in verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, 
There stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So Gabriel came near to where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened, fell on my face as if to worship, but he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And then we go on to verse 27 of Daniel 8, and he says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But here, listen, I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Even after God's sent angel Gabriel comes to try and explain it. Similarly, in Luke 1, the same angel, Gabriel, some 550 years later, he confronts Zechariah there in the temple at the altar of incense. Zechariah also was troubled, and fear fell upon him, similar to Daniel, but the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. He goes on to tell Zechariah that his barren wife, Elizabeth, who is advanced in years, will conceive, give birth to a son, not just any son, but a son they'll name John, John who will go on to be John the baptizer, the forerunner and harbinger of Jesus. And then verse 18, Zechariah said to the angel, Luke chapter 1, 18, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So here in both cases, you have the same angel Gabriel confronting God's people in a specific time and place. Daniel says, I don't get it. And Zechariah says, how shall I know this? Neither man can conceive of it. Daniel can't understand the vision even after Gabriel explains it, and Zechariah can't conceive of how his wife will conceive. God's promises and man's perceptions are not melding. So here's a thing for us to consider. If we ourselves or those that we know and love ever find ourselves in a situation like that where God's promises, some of the ones we talked about early on here in the message, just kind of don't make sense or are hard to believe for us, the question is this, in your notes if you're, if you're following along, who or what are we focusing on? Who or what are we focusing on? And when you look at the original Hebrew and Greek texts from Daniel and from Luke, with Daniel and Gabriel and with Gabriel and Zechariah, they give us an important clue, and I'll speak them here as they're written. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, verse 15 of Daniel 8, and I, Daniel, was overcome, that's verse 27, and then Luke 1 with Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man. In both texts, the original grammar shows us that Daniel and Zechariah were emphasizing the first person. I, me, myself. Right? That's something that we might lose in our English translations, but it's very clear in the original texts. The original texts could have merely written or had said, I had seen the vision, I saw the vision, or I know, you know, but they stress emphatically, I myself, me, my, myself. And a couple of interesting responses then. 
To Daniel, Gabriel says, understand, O son of man. Daniel is emphasizing himself in the first person. An angel, Gabriel, kind of takes him down a notch. Understand, you earthly creature. (laughs) And then a similar response to Zechariah. Again, he says of himself, how shall I know this? I am an old man, and the angel doesn't argue. But Gabriel says, I am Gabriel. You know, whenever we doubt the promises of God, when we can't conceive of how something will possibly come to pass, but God's word tells us that it will, if ever we struggle with that dynamic, another question wise to ask is this, which I am are we looking at? Which I am are we looking at? How can I myself possibly be loved by God? How can I myself or that other horrible person in my life possibly be forgiven by God? How can I myself possibly come up with enough money to give to God generously? How can I myself believe and be sure, I myself, be sure that Jesus Christ is coming again? Friends, if we're ever in doubt that the promises of God are real and true for us, a question to ask is, which I am are you looking at? Is it at all possible, as it was for Daniel, as it was for Zechariah, these are huge people in the scriptures, is it at all possible that if ever we're doubtful or disbelieving or afraid that we're focusing too much on this I am, and not enough on that I am. You know, a year or two, we see this with the disciples also, a year or two into the ministry of Jesus, we see this dynamic at play. His disciples were out on a boat, as they were many, many times. This is in John 6 in particular. In a storm on the Sea of Galilee, which was also very common, still today, very common to have windswept storms on Galilee. John writes this. This is in John 6, 16. And when we get to the verse, which is verse 20, I'm going to speak a wooden translation of it in English from its original Greek. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across to Capernaum. It was now dark. Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Mind you, they've been walking with Jesus for a year or two at this point. Already seen him working miracles, including John 2, water into wine, and many others. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, I am. Do not be afraid. Our English translations might say something like, it is I, or I am he. But Ego eimi is the Greek phrase, I am. Jesus is saying of himself, I am. I'm the same God who was named I am through the burning bush with Moses in Exodus. I am that God. They were terrified. But the I am was the one God was calling them to focus on. And that's a blessing that we see in that text and also with 
Daniel, also with Zechariah and Elizabeth, that God's word comes to us from outside of ourselves. And that's exactly where we need it to come from. So many theologies, this side of heaven, encourage their adherents to go inwardly, to find an inner peace, to go within yourself, to follow your own heart, to do what seems good to you, or to find an inner nirvana or peace. The Christian faith is completely opposite of that. God's word says the human heart is deceptive above all things. Follow Jesus, not your heart. And we need God to come to us from outside of ourselves, which he does, because in here is a hot mess. And I'm focusing way too much on this I am. And I need that I am to come give me a word of hope and encouragement. And so we see that. Luke 1.19 says that. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. Here, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And Daniel hears something similar. That's in 9.22 of Daniel. I have come out to you, Gabriel says, to give you insight and understanding. We need God. We might want to believe that we can dive deep inside this hot mess of a place and figure out all things that are true, but we need God to come and shine a light on us because apart from him we are broken and living in darkness. And God's word does come to us. I mean, that's fundamentally probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God the Father sends Jesus into the world to be born. We celebrate that in his birth and Christmas Day, but also to die and to rise for us and to give us his peace, to encourage us, to forgive us, to make us rest in him to assure us that he'll provide for us. Even though we haven't yet reached the celebration of the birth of Jesus, we can fast forward already to his resurrection and see the two are absolutely connected. John chapter 20, Jesus meets his terrified disciples in the locked room and he says, peace to you. Jesus comes to them from outside themselves, from beyond themselves and says, I give you my peace. Peace, peace. Do not be afraid. Again, there's always still that dynamic that because God's living word breaks into our time from outside of time, it can seem and be otherworldly for us, discordant for us. There's always going to be, and this has come up several times in the last few weeks, I have to believe that, I, that the Lord is calling us to faith here as his people of St. Paul's, generally and always, God is calling us to faith in Jesus Christ. I think, my friends, he might be preparing us for something even greater, to step out in faith in some way. He's not giving me some vision of that. I don't have a crystal ball. I'm not omniscient. But it seems like these themes are continually coming up again and again. And just a reminder, there's always going to be a perceived gap between God's word of promise and our pragmatic realities. And if we're going to assess whether or not to step out on a promise of God based on what we see, we're never going to get there. His promise and his prophetic promise that drives us forward, there's always going to be a gap, but it's in this gap that the life of faith is lived. 
So let's remember that. In all of our life circumstances, individually, as families, and as collectively as the people of God in Christ, as our church and our school and our early childhood center here, there's always going to be a gap. God calls us to step out in faith, not based on this I am, but that I am. And this, we see a really beautiful contrast. We're going to end here with a glimpse of next week's text at Mary. And we can see and compare the difference. Right? We know, we've heard the angel Gabriel, same one, then comes to Mary and says, Mary, you are going to uh, conceive. The power of the Most High will overcome you, and you will bear a son. You shall call him Jesus. And she doesn't ask the same question that Zechariah does. Remember, Zechariah says, how shall I know this? She says this. This is verse 34 of Luke 1. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? In the grammar of Luke's text, Mary says two things that are different here. Number one, she does not emphasize herself. We lose that in the English because the text still says, I am a virgin. But this is actually what it says. How shall this be, since a man I know not? And also she's not saying, how will I know this? Right? Zechariah is putting the emphasis back on himself. She says, how will this be? For her, it's not discerning the answer or trying to figure it out. She's already accepting that it's going to come. How? Her perspective is different, and it de-emphasizes herself. And in response, Gabriel tells Mary in regards to her son Jesus and in regards to Zechariah and Elizabeth with their son John, Luke 1.37, an important verse for us too, nothing. No thing, nothing will be impossible with God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, so many of the promises that we have are far off. Some are immediate, thanks be to God, you are forgiven, happens immediately, but so many more are far off and yet to come, and so God calls us into that gap to believe, to step out, not based on our assessment and our own strength, but to base our stepping out on him and his. And as we wait for whatever that thing is, conceiving ourselves, trying to start a family, or stepping out in faith to give more, or stepping out in faith on a journey of healing, or stepping out in faith as a body of Christ on something, whatever it might be, we wait. We're in that season of waiting, which is Advent. But because the promises are anchored in the great I Am, who is Jesus, we are able to wait with faith, with more sure and certain faith. And so this Advent, God, God promises us, this Advent and always God promises us, surely I am coming soon. And so we pray, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. As I mentioned, today's song is a special treat from two people who have never met in person from two different countries. So 
I asked Laura to tell us about this intriguing song. Laura, can you tell us about it? Sure, Kevin. So uh, I do a lot of worship times that are live on Facebook. And there was this uh, time where I connected with another worship leader from Pakistan, and I went on his YouTube channel, uh, Haroon Jacob is his name, went on his YouTube channel and started watching the songs that he has been a part of. And I was so inspired and moved by his worshiper's heart that I just thought on a whim, maybe he might like to co-write with me. And so I connected with him and he said, sure. So we started writing uh, this Christmas and I sent it over to him and his producer. He wrote the Urdu lyrics to the song and his producer uh, took everything we had, my vocals, his vocals, and mixed and mastered it over in Pakistan. So uh, we also did a music video where I, I recorded in my church and he recorded uh, where he lives and he had a video editor and people that just mixed it and created this wonderful music video to go along with it. It's on my YouTube channel and on uh, Haroon Jacobs' video uh, YouTube channel. So yeah, go check it out. And we are working on another song, and I'm hoping that I get a chance to sing in Urdu. I don't know if I can, but it sure would be fun. Uh, it just reminds me that the body of Christ is worldwide, and worshiping God is in all languages, in all cultures, and it's a beautiful thing. So that's the story behind this Christmas. You came as a baby
प्यार का है शहजादा वो ईमान पैदा हुआ This Christmas we're reminded of your love your Yeah.